Welcome to Everyday Drinking, presented by the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network. I'm your host, Jason Wilson. Well, hello, listeners. Anyone that knows me knows that I love to champion an underdog. Nothing is too obscure for me. I love rare grape varieties. I wrote a whole book about those. I love Nordic Aquavit, Dutch Geneva, fruit brandies with hard-to-pronounce names, funky, small-production ciders made from wild-forged apples, you name it. Sadly, however, my passion and enthusiasm for my belovedly obscure drinks hasn't always translated into more popularity or sales. So it was with some recognition last year that I read a New York Times article that asked, could you be an anti-influencer? Apparently, based on an MIT marketing study of purchasing patterns, some consumers are drawn over and over again to unpopular products. Crystal Pepsi, Watermelon Oreos, Frito-Lay Lemonade, Cheetos Lip Balm, those were the kind of examples they gave. And they called these people harbingers of failure. Said one of the study's authors, we looked into the data and saw there were some customers who are really good at picking out failures. I think what we're picking up on is that there are just some people who, for whatever reason, have consistently non-majority taste. They like that odd house, that political candidate everyone else finds off-putting. They like watermelon Oreos. And when I read that article, I suddenly felt seen, as if my entire life was being explained to me. Maybe I am on a completely different wavelength than other consumers. But it also gave me hope. Maybe there are more people out there like me than I realize. You know, as we all hunkered down over this past year, many of us took stock of the things that truly bring us joy. And some of us, well, we dream that the whole concept of influencers might evaporate. I chose to embrace my role as an anti-influencer, and that's what we're going to lean into today. Act 1. The Joys of Eau de Vie, or There's No Reason to Be Scared of a Little Schnapps. Act 2. You can't spell fungus without fun, why Sauterne makes you happy. Act 3. Making the case for dry and complex cider, along with our cider correspondent, the Cider Queen. Okay, so it's Sunday afternoon, and um, I am pouring some something that's not very common here. I don't know you call it uh, eau de vie, fruit brandies, schnapps. Um... And I have my friend <laughs> and co-host Amber Brown. So excited to be here, and I'm quite excited because like this feels bougie. So we're like in my element. Okay, okay, yes, <laughs> things things that should be more popular that aren't. And we also are joined with our friend David Avedisian. Yes, hello, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's actually my friend and landlord, and uh, and. Many bottles here are his in this wine room of ours. Noted beverage enthusiast. Noted beverage enthusiast, yes. Among the many things in David's collection are at least 75 bottles of the coveted Pabby Van Winkle. Okay, so um, so I guess my first question is, like, what is everybody's experience here with, with uh, Eau de Vie? What, if I say to you Eau de Vie, fruit brandy, schnapps, does that mean anything to you? Like, it's not, like, you know, tickling my fancy or getting me that excited, but I'm interested, like, you know? And why is that? Because just, I, I really haven't had, when it comes to Eau de Vie, 
this much experience. I think that this is one of your kind of like Enneagram 4 off the beating path things that like is really underground. Enneagram is some kind of personality trait thing that Amber has been into lately because she's quote unquote over astrology. So I just haven't been, you know, educated Can yet. Can you explain what any, what you, what you, like, right, to people so. who aren't involved in Enneagram 4? <laughs> right. So the Enneagram 4, um, he's a, Jason is a 4. If you're a 4, you love stuff that's like super weird that like nobody else has like ever heard about. Like they love stuff that is like very... Is that me? And that's you. Okay. Well, now David is, uh, you know, now you're a whiskey guy, uh, you know, uh, you have, you're, you're a great collector of whiskey, but you, you, you haven't had much experience with Odevi or Schnapps either, right? No. And why? Um, well, uh, it's, it's only been presented to me before I met you one time in a World Spirits Advent calendar that I was given. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like and a, a Christmas gift. Christmas gift in the, in the little 50 milliliter test tubes. And they were from everywhere around the world. And it was a little too out there for me to jump into alone without yeah. somebody walking me through what I was doing. Cool. All right. So I think we're going to start at the at the... the, the I don't know, the shallow end, I guess. The, yeah, like, yeah, the like kiddie pool end. So this is, uh, I mean, this isn't the kiddie pool, actually. This is, so we're going to start with pear brandies. Pear, I think pear brandies made with, you know, in France they're called Pear Williams. Um, and so why don't you take a taste of this? This right. Right, The first one is, is uh, it's from Clear Creek, which is in Oregon. And this is their pear brandy. Okay. All right, so quick question. Can you, like, make brandy anywhere like can you make these anywhere like what is... anywhere there's fruit yeah exactly i mean there's a real long tradition of this in europe basically i mean one thing i should we should point out is i mean when we're talking about eau de vie and schnapps we're talking about mostly unaged brandy these are clear these okay. are i think that's what's scary to a lot of people okay that it's clear it looks like it's gonna burn Yes. Like, for me, I'm like, this is taking me back to, like, early college, cheap vodka. So, like, maybe because it's clear, that's yeah. why I'm a little scared. Because it's 80 proof, and Ooh. it's... <laughs> and we're not drinking it with ice. We're drinking it in little, fancy little brandy glasses. Yeah. Yes. That's a low proof for me. <laughs> <laughs> Says the whiskey guy. Yes. Yeah. And, and I would add that my... I only tasted one or two from the advent calendar, but my experience with schnapps is, you know, peach, peppermint, super duper oh, sweet. Oh, right. That's a good. That's a good point to raise. Because I mean, yeah. most people in the United States think of schnapps. They think of uh, uh, like peach schnapps, peach tree schnapps, which you have in a crappy fuzzy yeah. navel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Rumple mints. But those are those are actually liqueurs. Like the schnapps that come from like Black Forest in Germany or from Austrian Alps or you know from Alsace or whatever. They are. There's no sugar added. It's just distilled fruit. Okay. All right. What are you thinking? What are you? What are we feeling about the, the pear brandy from Oregon? Ooh. I taste pear. Yeah. Straight pear. Like. Like off the tree pear. Like I know why pork. people are scared because on the nose, I've got to tell you, I'm like, this is gonna get me tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> like. Woof. All right, so... No, woof, come on. But no, yeah, but it's not, not like yeah. a woof, but like it's like a woof, like, you know, like a, a growly woof. <laughs> Does that have a burn for you? Honestly, a slight burn, but like in the mouth, it feels good. 
I don't, <laughs> all right, so like, <laughs> it has a really nice mouthfeel, I do have to say. Like, it's it's quite fulfilling. Yeah. It's like when we're talking about wine in regards to like body, like this is definitely something that's a little hot. It's definitely like full body, but it's so like rounded out in my mouth, I guess, that it's quite enjoyable. Is this making sense? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. 100%. And it does. And it's why food. you would have this, like, I mean, we're not really having this with food, but you would have this maybe, af- obviously, like, after a meal. Would this be done, like, digestivo? Like, yeah, one of yeah. those situations? Yeah. D- yeah, digestivo situation. Yeah, But for then sure. I have, like, another question. Okay, so let's say, because you know me, I don't really, like, I'm not out here with cocktails like that. Are people putting these in cocktails, or is it going to be too much for a cocktail? Well, I mean, we're going to get into price in a minute, but there, I think there would be a very expensive pour for, uh, cocktail but people are doing it yeah for sure at like high-end places yeah okay yeah okay so we had the, the the clear creek which is a really great one from from oregon i mean it's a good standard uh but now we're going to take a step up and then this this one is not pear but it's similar it's it's uh quince actually Ooh. and it's from a producer in the austrian alps called Rokelt. Um, you take the fruit and, uh, and with the fruit comes fruit flavor, obviously. That's Alex Rayner of Rokelt, the distillery in the Austrian Alps that makes the schnapps we're tasting. So what we do is we, 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 we harvest and ferment, um, the fruit, uh, and therefore we produce alcohol, uh, pure out of the fruit sugar. And then you have a mash basically that contains alcohol. And obviously the flavors. And when you distill it, um, the alcohol carries the, the, the fruit flavors into the distillate. And uh, so the beauty of this is the way we do it, particular um, in our company, is it is a 100% all natural product. Because basically all we need is just the fruit. Everything else just comes through turning fruit sugar into alcohol and then we distill it. It's a very simple process and, uh, and this never stops with us. So when we look for apples or pears or plums, um, we always look out to find uh, maybe new varieties uh, from new areas or the same existing varieties, but from new regions uh, where we grow. And um, it's an endless search. All right, I'm like... I love it. Love it? What do you love about it? it tastes like fruit to me. And I'm not a, I haven't had a ton of quince, but to me, it tastes like fruit. And there isn't really a burn there. Yeah. It's a little bit higher proof, which probably appeals to you a little bit too. I think it's pleasing flavor, however. Okay, so we're moving on from pear and we're moving into plum brandies. Now, plum brandy is interesting because the traditional plum brandy is from Eastern Europe. It's called Slivovitz. 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 Yeah. Say Slivovitz. that five times fast. Slivovitz. You say Slivovitz. It. Slivovitz. <laughs> <laughs> nice snort, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> that was me. Oh, yeah. It's a chortle. It was a, it was a chortle, <laughs> not a snort. Excuse me. We're chortling as we have our eau de vie and schnapps. Just yes. a casual <laughs> Sunday chortle. Like, why not? <laughs> Exciting flavors. So, uh, you know, but Slivovitz, I mean, like, there's, like, rough Slivovitz, and then there is, like, 
beautiful slew of it. And so, like, you know, there, so it's, it's like, like Jersey. Like, there's rough yeah, Jersey. Yeah, there's really and, like, rough. Really like, yeah, there's nice like Jersey. almost like moonshine. Like, all right, so these are made from blue plums. It's sort of Italian blue plums. And the first one that we're going to taste is from uh, Western New York from a company called Rootstock, a distillery called Rootstock. They also make ciders and stuff too. Okay. But they make. Their plum brandy, I think, is very nice. I just got it. So what do we what do we think of that? All right, we're getting in this gig. On the nose, this is really fun. Like, I, it's not as intimidating as the, the, as the other pa- two. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. It's more yeah. Like I it's see. a bit more inviting. I'm like here for it. Like, come on, sliver of it. Like ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. So you prefer the plum over the pear? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's doing it for me. What I love about good eau de vie is that the, the, it's always beautiful on the nose. Like, you get this, it's the aroma of fresh fruit, really. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's like, it's very prune-like because it's it's this these Italian blue plums that you're getting. Yeah. I'm sure they're better than our plums, right? <laughs> well, wait. I, surely. I, I'm sure. All right, so that's one of the ways you would be like, this is good eau de vie. Like, what are other ways, if I'm going to, like, walk up in the store and be like, this would be good eau de vie, other than, like, price? Well, first of all, I mean, you'd have, you'd have a very slim pickings in the store. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went around to all of our local places here in Jersey, and it's, like, it's a very limited supply. Like, I had to order everything we have here through the mail, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, but... Good eau de vie, it's, it's got this beautiful aroma. It doesn't burn. I think that's the thing. Like, Slivovitz is like, it's like they got the moonshine burn a lot of times. Like, the, okay. the, ba- like the kind of the bad homemade stuff. Okay. And, and But so, it should be soft on the palate. It should be delicate. It should be like, you know, finesse. All those kind of things, right? It's, this isn't like a powerful spirit. That's the thing. It's not like bourbon, you know, like. It's a finesse game. Yeah. I, I will say that. For me, I, I I like not having sweetness as an aftertaste, and with with these, when I breathe, I I'm tasting the fruit, and I like that. Yeah, you know that that I, I yeah, like. yeah that's to your point. Like yes, the Slivovitz is for me because I'm tasting it, and it tastes like plum prune. That's what I'm after. Maybe I have a spirits-oriented palate from a life of bourbon, and yeah, it's all yeah. callous right, and burnt, right. but mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Okay, now we did the plum. We're going to take another step up with some stone fruit. This is a different stone fruit. Uh, and this one is one of my favorites. This is, this is again, from Roquelt. And these are apricots from... The Vakau, you know, which is the Vakau. big, the big wine producing, <laughs> the Gruner Veltliner region of Austria, you know, one of the great wine regions of the world. But these are their apricots, and this is one thing I think that beautiful drink. When you get deep into this, um, the fruit, like this specific variety of apricot from the Vakau, is like, it's like. A specific grape. It's like Cabernet Franc from the Loire, like you know, you know. And it is. It's just beautiful because it has so many uh, old orchids um, with apricots. That's Alex Rayner of Rocald again, talking about their orchards in the Vacau. And uh, and the microclimate there, that they what the French would call the terroir, is is just perfect. Not only for the white wines, but also for the apricots. Like they're treating the apricots here like wine, like wine grapes. They pick like several weeks after the apricots are picked for like the market. So they're getting like an incredibly ripe. 
like the hang time of the apricots is like dessert you know, wine. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! So now, well, then I'm curious because well, the hang time of the apricots is like it's like much longer and riper. So you get all this like ripe sugar, and then they're going to ferment it, and then you know we like to compare. Uh, the way we work um, with uh, with wine producers, and I would say 80% of our work um, has to be done in a very good way before it even comes to the distillery. So it is all about the fruit. <laughs> okay, Sorry, so the OTV is hitting. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we have such little thimblefuls of it. Yeah. So uh, now we're going to move on to. I think what my favorite category of the schnapps or eau de vie is, and that is Kirsch or Kirschwasser. Kirschwasser. <laughs> Come on, Kirschwasser. Come on, Kirschwasser. And my favorite is uh, Schlaterer. 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 Yes. Schlaterer. And it's from the Black Forest in Germany. And uh, let's just take a taste of that. All right. Oh. And see, I could have one of these at the end of the night every night. You know, this this would be like this would be like my tipple of choice before bed. You know, this would be in lieu of a piece of cake, <laughs> in lieu of a piece of black forest cake. But I want both. Like I want the cake and the kishvasa. Like I see why you like this one. I can see why this would be your favorite. Oh really? Why? Because I'm an Enneagram 4. Oh my god, stop. Alright, so let's just like break this down really fast and why it's no surprise that like Jason Wilson loves Odafi because people who are, you know, typed as fours in the Enneagram, they love stuff that is like off the beating path that you know, like some little granny in Austria like went and picked at this like very special time every year that you can only get on like the second day of January. Like <laughs> this is such a you thing, but we love this for you, okay? I'm like <laughs> embracing your fourness as a as an eight. I'm embracing your fourness right now. Well, they have this concept of. Um, I read an article in the New York Times like about a year ago. They have there's a concept that. You know, there are people that are influencers and that there are people that are anti-influencers. There's people who like... Oh, we know anti-influencers. Cherry Coke or they like watermelon Oreos or they like things that are... And so... You are iconoclastic. I fear that I am an anti-influencer, actually. Like, if I say drink O2V, people are like, no fucking way. I'm yeah, they're like, nobody. <laughs> so, now this should be interesting because I think, you know, my favorite, the Schlaterer, is... Good, and then we jump up, and so Rokelt has two different cherries, two different types of cherries, and the first one we're going to taste is Morello cherry. Okay. But I don't know what's the German. You can pronounce the German. It says Weissel. Okay, it's Morello cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I got. Like, what's the feeling with all of this? Like, what do you, what is what do O to V make you feel like? I think that's something I'm trying to get at here. Um. Oh, you know what? This is also why I know why you love this. Because regarding feeling, you know every Wes Anderson like movie character is drinking Eau de Vie, which is also why you love Eau de Vie. I feel like I'm in a like Wes Anderson movie and I'm like in the Black Forest very well dressed and it's like a cool fall day and like you know I'm sitting by the fire roasting drinking Eau de Vie. That's the feeling I'm getting. Okay. Are you, like, seeing that for me? Absolutely. Okay. 
it's a um, it's a clean beverage. I would say, like, I don't know if that's a descriptive term. I I would agree with that. It's like there's a purity to it. I've right? never used yeah. it, yet. and what I like is complexity without too much complexity. And what I mean is, is that's interesting. Gin has too many botanicals for me to get my head around. It's complex, but there's not too many. But it's you're dealing with one thing. Yeah, yeah. It brings out all of the essence of that one thing too, right? Yeah. Right. So okay, so we're gonna move the then the other one is a is a a basil cherry from it's from Basel, oh. Switzerland. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> The terroir of cherries. Like, come on, cherry terroir. The last one was tough to beat for me. Now, both of these also have been aged. The, the one we just tasted was 15 years, and this is 13 years. So there's a long... Aging's not the correct word, actually. It's maturation, because it's not being aged in oak. It's being aged, it's being aged in these glass demijohns. Okay, so I don't, know, I don't know the exact price on this, but this is around $300 a bottle. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> So the, the pair, yeah. So the pair, the, the Clear Creek was around thirty-five or forty. I can't remember exactly, but you know, let's say forty dollars. Um, this is, and, and by the way, that's a half bottle, three seventy-five. It's a, it, somewhere between. It's it's around three hundred plus. Yeah. All right. So I hate to be this person, but I do like the more expensive one more. I can't help it. Like it just feels a little bit more. Um, how would I, like, the story's coming together for me a lot clearer on this one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. It just so, feels a lot more integrated. So, obviously, there's something about, like, the price which keeps... Now, what makes this more expensive is they're sourcing the fruit from amazing places. Mm -hmm. This has been aged in a glass balloon for 13 years as well. So, oh. they're not just, like, rushing well, it out. you yeah. didn't tell me all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now we're going into very esoteric territory right now. Like, we're very... So, I, I have my poured... My colleagues are making me nervous. <laughs> I have poured... <laughs> my, I have poured some wild card ones, but I have not shown the bottle. So, Amber doesn't know what the fruit is. Okay. So, why don't you tell me what you think the first one is? And I think... As you're tasting, I mean, I think the point is, eau de vie can be made, or schnapps can be made from anything, really, anything that grows. The nose is wild. I honestly, like, I'm a little, like, nervous. What if I told you it's not a fruit? All right, I was about to say that. I was like, it, this feels a little green to me. Okay. Taste it. It's like birchy. It's carrot. It's carrot eau de vie. What? It is carrot eau de vie from a guy named Hans Reisebauer in Austria. Now give it a whiff. Now that you know it's carrot, give it a whiff. Now right. I can't unsmell carrot. What the fuck? Right. <laughs> Plain as day, right? Whew. Now Hans Reisebauer is a crazy guy in in near Linz in Austria and he makes eau de vies out of all kinds of weird stuff like and this is one of his most famous oh carrot I mean he, he does all the typical ones plum cherry pear etc but he's got like the yeah other ones that he does a tomato one that one would probably be fun honestly yeah. you never thought a carrot eau de vie would be good did you 
Oh, literally never. Like, where you you got me little shook boots over here. <laughs> I'm like, wait. Carado What's the to frame me? of reference for Carado to be? So like, I I just like don't even. All I'm saying though is yeah. like, all right, because we've been talking about like the price and how expensive like Odavi is, which is like why it's kind of been one of these things that people aren't here. But I'm right. just saying after this tasting, like you know what, if Joe forgives my student loans, like maybe we can start collecting Odavi. Like who knows? Yeah. Like the sky's well, the limit. It's a wild world of Odavi, isn't it? It is quite crazy and i feel like the characters like if i was to go meet this like reisenbauer um, hans yeah yeah hansi like i don't know i just imagine him like i visited him when i wrote booze hound and i think i've never drank as much as i drank the day i was with him like he was a crazy crazy person and that's kind of saying something i mean i don't think it's a yeah. bold statement yeah <laughs> that is bold that's bold for I spent you four hours tasting his spirits and at the very end he was like Oh, would you like to taste a rum that was in Fidel Castro's rum cellar? And I was like, Uh, sure. <laughs> There's only one answer to that question. Like, si. <laughs> si, senor. <laughs> Amazing. But there's a range here. I mean, I know we're tasting the high end and it's 300 plus dollars for some of these Roquel. But the Schlaterer, for instance, the Kirschwasser was, you know, 40 something dollars which you know i know but it's a spirit i mean it's cheaper than a lot of these mezcals and stuff that people love right you know and, exactly and the hans reisebauer carado de v is around 70 to 75 dollars which again sounds expensive but like Let's i don't know there's a lot of spirits a, a that are being right yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's no pabby van winkle for instance mm -hmm. you know right i mean uh david over here is collecting pabby van winkle you know at <laughs> like it's going out thousands of, style. of dollars right you know yeah so um but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, but it is a weird, I think that like there's this theory of storytelling that um, you can't tell someone a story about something they know nothing about, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem with Schnapps and Odevi. Like people, they don't even know. Like you hand them this, it's clear. It looks like, it, it looks nervous. like it's going to get there. It's going to mess you up, right? And then, yeah, there's nothing. It's just foreign to people. Foreign yeah. in all of the ways. It's foreign. For the last schnapps of the day, I return to Roquelt and I pour what might be their most expensive one at almost $400 for a half bottle. So this schnapps is one of the greatest um, ones I've ever had in my life. And this is this is black elderberry. I remember back, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago, there was like the elderflower liqueur. Mm -hmm. And it was in everything, St. Germain or whatever. You know, this is like... The distillation of the elderberry. Mm. That's a very esoteric taste, isn't she, it? Yeah, that is like, sorry, I'm just sitting with it right now, and I'm a bit really like in my feelings. <laughs> Are you? In what way? It's very, this is like we're getting to like peak fourness. Like this is like so weird and so just like I can't even, but I'm here for it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just like, what is going on in my This mouth? is not an American taste. No, no, no. These are never going to be popular, are they? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you're fighting the good fight. You, like, want I'm the kids. fighting. You're like, well, you're, like, trying, you know? And I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this is, like, peak anti-influencer. Like, right here. Like, right now. Like, oh, to me. <laughs> oh, do you have no. to say it like that? Like, oh, to me. Yeah, maybe.
For more on fruit brandies, check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com. There, you'll find more of my conversation with Alex Rayner of Rokelt in the Austrian Alps, as well as a conversation with the makers of Rootstock and their brandies made in upstate New York. What wines make you happy? Not the wines that are the most expensive or profound or make you feel cool. Which wines give you nothing but joy? One of those wines for me is Sauterne, the sweet wine of Bordeaux. Now, like a lot of things I enjoy, Sauterne can be a little confounding to a newbie. It's a wine created by the magical effects of something called Botrytis. Now, Botrytis has a great nickname, Noble Rot. But uh, call it what you will, when we talk about botrytis, we're talking about fungus. I enjoyed Sauterne on a recent sunny late morning with Jeff Harding, wine director at the Waverly Inn in New York. Jeff hosts a fantastic live daily vineyard chat with winemakers on Instagram. Jeff loves wines like Sauterne so much that he started a project, a movement even, called Learn Sauterne, in which he hopes to spread the love of these wonderful wines. Anyone who's kind of get, gotten dipped their toe a little deeper into wine has probably heard of Sauterne. They, you know, they, they vaguely know it, but but why isn't it more popular? Why don't why don't why isn't something you know? It's supposed to be one of the classic wines of Bordeaux. I mean, it's uh, you know once was very prestigious, and I mean it still is to to, to many yeah. people. But like, why isn't it more popular? Why don't people drink it? I mean, there, it's it is a it is a conundrum because people I think have the short answer is I think people are afraid of sugar, but um, they say that your palate, as a as a kid, you like sugars. It's one of the first flavors that you appreciate. And also, it's one of the last. Apparently, as your palate fades, you still appreciate sweet things. So it's maybe a cautionary tale that I'm so in love with, so, with Sauterne. <laughs> um, but, you know, the American palate likes sweet things. We all love candy and Mountain Dew. There's a lot of sugar in uh, Margarita and Cosmo that people don't think about. It's just those classic cocktails are so balanced with acid that they don't come across as sweet. Same with Coke, a lot of acid in Coke. Um, and equally so, there is a lot of acid in these wines. So they're completely balanced. And it's just, I think it's fallen out of favor. Again, people are afraid of sweet and um, it's just gotten a bad rap. And I think there's a lot of not great sweet wine out there. People have gotten burned in like the nineties. You know, everybody tried to taste a crappy sweet wine with a cheese plate and it's just not that interesting. Um, But luckily they're still making these great wines. And so, I mean, I guess there's also this idea that maybe these wines are very expensive. You have like, you know, famous Chateau, like Chateau de Chem, you know, it's right. very, you know, it's thousands worth thousands of dollars. And I, I don't know. I mean, I have had very little of it myself. I mean, it's sippier right. there, you know, in my lifetime. So, I mean, it's, is that maybe part of it as well? I think that that is, I mean, Ikem is one of the top, top luxury products in the world. And so I guess that's probably true. People think that the accessible stuff is not very good, but there's, I mean, Ikem is in its own place, but the other Chateau in, in Sauterne make extraordinarily great wine and it is very accessible price-wise. It's not expensive as you would think. I sell it for $20 a glass in the restaurant. It says as 
affordable as as almost you know most other wines most other fine wines if not more so and the thing about it i think it's very celebratory i think it's i wrote an article once about you should drink so turn for thank or for well definitely for thanksgiving but you should drink it on new year's eve it uh we can talk about this more but i for i feel that sipping a sweet wine kind of makes time stop and you reflect back and it's such a a primal brainstem thing that it brings up a lot of memories and and i i just think it's for celebrations and for every day I agree. I mean, this is something I, I wrote an article about Sautern maybe 10 years ago for the Washington Post. And I remember saying that it was like asking the question, like, which wine makes you happy, happiest? What makes you feel happy when you drink it? And, and this is something I feel like this type of sweet wine is that it's happiness in the glass. A hundred percent. And there, there is, there's something about um, having it a, a, at a special time too. So why don't you tell us what we have in our glasses right now on this fine morning? We are starting off with Castelnau de Sudero. That's a Sauterne from 2016. Chateau Sudero is one of the great houses of Sauterne, one of the classified growths. And this is the second wine, meaning it's a little bit younger, a little bit brighter. Um, it often, a second wine will have a little bit more grapes that are not botrytized. So it's a little fresher, a little easier drinking and more like an aperitif. Um, Sometimes it can be a little more, uh, what do you say, easier to pair. It pairs with many more things, these young wines sometimes. Right, right. It's it's extremely versatile and it's extremely, yeah, it's happy. It's happy wine. I mean, you're not going to drink a whole bottle of it. It's it's overwhelming, but um, it's fantastic. And it, it it is very primal for me, I think. It's like you get tropical fruit. I, I like textural pairings. There's a textural chewiness to this that it's from tannins and, and sugar and age and um, concentration. These wines are much more concentrated than other wines. And I think you get, like, for me, whenever I smell beeswax, I kind of almost feel that as a mouthfeel thing too. But there's like orange peel, there's uh, tropical fruit, um, and again, textural too. Uh, so I would put this wine, of course, you can go with cheese. You can start your dinner with it. You can put this over ice, put a little orange peel in it, and uh, it makes a great aperitif. And the other thing about it is the sugar in it is a stabilizing factor. So once you open the bottle, I mean, the winemakers tell you it'll keep for two weeks. It'll keep for a month, maybe even six weeks in your refrigerator. And it's, um, I, I once posted a picture on uh, Instagram that I had a quart of milk and a bottle of Sauterne in my door of my refrigerator. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck. I'm okay now. <laughs> All right. So maybe just take us through a quick primer of like, how's Sauterne made? So there's, you need... Uh, heat and moisture to get botrytis to make mold basically and botrytis um, is is the botrytis this. is the fungus that that permeates the grape and and forces the moisture out of the grape so it concentrates okay in Sauterne, there are these two rivers that meet it puts off a fog because the air the water is cooler than the air and then the fog creeps up into the vineyard. The fog settles on the vines and encourages this botrytis fungus to take over. Afternoon rolls around, the sun's out, it burns it off, and that's what keeps it in check. It becomes this noble rot rather than, a, I think it's called gray rot when it's bad. This is the good rot. And then you let that happen throughout. Usually you pick white grapes between like August to maybe as late as October, but these guys don't start until like October. And the great houses, what they do is they handpick, they will walk through the vineyard and they will look at a bunch and they won't pick a bunch. They take scissors and they'll pick out the, the grapes that they want, the level of rot that they want. And they'll put those portions of a bunch into their bucket 
And they may go out seven times throughout their vineyard. So uh, each pass through the vineyard is called a tree, T-R-I-E. Mm-hmm. They may make seven trees through there. And then you you ferment each. I just learned this this summer in one of my vineyard chats. Each tree, each pass, each day's harvest, you ferment separately. So you'll have day one's harvest in, the, in a certain barrel and then day two, and then they blend afterwards. And then there's always a few grapes that don't botrytize that sometimes you'll use those, like I said, in the, the second wine, which we're drinking second wines of both of these chateaux. And there's often some fresh, normal still wine made of grapes that did not get botrytis. That makes them a little more accessible for an aperitif and um, a little bit brighter, a little bit fresher, a little bit more um, acid. So I think we can we can probably understand why, you know, hundreds of years ago, this wine was, uh, you know, coveted. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a real rare, you know, kind of natural occurrence that, that was discovered. And there was a sweetness at a time where you just couldn't, sugar wasn't like as common as it is now. So this was an, an opportunity to have something sweet in the wintertime. Exactly. And it was also the best wine, the most expensive wine, because it's so much work in making those. So the best stuff always went to the king. So, I mean, fast forward now to 2021 mm-hmm. and, you know, you talk to people in wine shops and people like yourself and it's a hard sell. Yeah. And one of the things though, that has been interesting, and this has happened with a lot of, you know, uh, you know, fortified wines as well as botrytisized wines. And, you know, Sauterne has become a, an ingredient in, in cocktails. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been, there's a, there's a very interesting usages in cocktails and you know I, I it caused this little minor stir recently in france there was uh, the count who uh was the former owner of the you know chateau at chem mm-hmm. uh sent this angry letter to a french wine magazine you know railing against the use of sauterne in a cocktail saying it was quote-unquote arrogant you know, and, and I'll read his from his letter. It says, you seem convinced as it stands, Sauterne has no future, that this wine belongs to the past. So you want to improve it with various subterfuges, ice cubes in the glass, orange or lemon zest, sparkling water. And he was chastising these people, you know, for, for making a, a, a sojito, which was like a Sauterne take on a mojito, you know. And he says, uh, no doubt you were thinking of shock as a marketing means to shake the consumer. I wish you luck. He is not that silly and will not be manipulated. And then he ends on this aristocratic flourish. Sauterne wine does not deserve an improvement, but a protection, that which one grants to the witnesses of civilization. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess the count hates cocktails. So um, what's what, so so where do you stand on Sauterne and cocktails? Are you with the count or are you are you with the you know the bartenders? Well, I have to say that just what's happening in Sauterne and it's happening at Ikem and everywhere else is they're not selling all of their Sauterne. So they're making dry still wine and they're doing a great job at marketing it. They're fantastic wines, so don't get me wrong, I love them. But they're not using all their wine to make their sweet wine because it's just not selling. And that's partly because people are mystified. Partly people are afraid of it. They're put off by the sugar. They think it's too expensive. All the reasons we just discussed. Um, and so I, and, and especially today, it's such a cocktail culture. People are so tr- looking to try something new. And I, if you just put it in the, in the drink, it, it puts the word Sauterne in front of somebody. So I make a Sauterne cocktail at the restaurant. I put ice, he would be horrified. I put ice, which kind of, I feel mutes the sugar. 
and then an orange zest around the rim of the glass, which kind of amplifies those citrus aromas in the wine. So it kind of amps up the aroma and mutes the sugar, much more accessible. People love it and they go, what's in this? And I'm like, it's just so turned. And it's always, people are shocked by it. Um, the same thing with other cocktails. So now by the time dessert rolls around, I can walk up to the table and say, hey, you're having bananas foster, you're having cheesecake, you're having a cheese plate. Would you like to try a glass of Sauternes with that, the one you had in your cocktail earlier? And now I've sold two glasses to them because they, they had the cocktail. So I, I, you know, for me, I'm just happy to see people drink it. I know it's a bit of a, or it can be an insult to the winemaker to use, I mean, anytime you're going to bastardize a product, it's it's probably not the best homage to the product, but if it sells it and makes the customer open to it and embrace embrace it and hopefully increase sales and keep it around for the rest of us because we don't drink it, it's not going to keep being made. Um, I'm all I'm all for it, honestly. I, I mean, I guess it's the equivalent of you know a chef getting upset because you put ketchup on a yeah. steak or something, right? I mean, exactly. I mean basically, but it, but. I should I should be clear to the count. These are unadulterated today. We are having them without exactly, exactly. no ice, no subterfuge, as as it yeah. were. So should we move on to the next wine? Sure. So this is, and I think you can see the colors even darker. This is Chateau Clemence. This is in Barsac. Barsac is an appellation within Sautern, but it is its own destination. And the soil, particularly at Clemence, is a little bit different. And she her uh Wines and vineyard are unique in that it's only Semillon and it's shockingly bright and fresh for Semillon because usually Semillon is a little more uh, unctuous and um, textural. So again, with this one, I get a lot of tropical fruit. Yeah. You get like ginger and white pepper and a lot of yep. spices. So again, the mouthfeel on this, those, those, those white pepper and spices, I feel like they almost add as much texture as the, as the uh, tannins. But still, it's just it's shockingly fresh. There's there's a there's an orange juice vibrancy to this, but a complexity and a depth that's just I think it's astounding. And Bernice is she's Bernice Lerton is the owner of the chateau. She's a big proponent of pairing these wines with with Asian food, and you can see how this fruitiness is going to counter the spiciness of some spicy Asian food, or even just all of the sweet peppers and coconut milk and all those exotic things. This wine is perfect with that. It's great with sushi. It's I like it with roast, slow roasted meats. Um, yeah, and if you think about what, like, what does ketchup do to a hot dog? It's fruit and spice. And so I think all kind of cooked meats, if you put a sauce on them, um, it does the same thing. And I also think that, you know, if you say I'm going to make you a, a pork loin and I'm going to put a mango chutney on there, people are okay with it. But that's exactly what you're getting in this wine. You're getting baking spices and uh, honey and fruit that you can certainly see putting on a um, a pork loin or something. And so it's just shifting people's mindset that there's there's sugar in that mango chutney that you are putting on your pork loin because there's fruit. So there's sugar in there. So it's a different version of fruit. Should maybe we should talk a little bit more about pairing. I mean, where do you steer people with this? I mean, where, where do you, I mean, I know that the classic pairing has always been, Lobster and sauter, lobster, yeah, exactly. and, yeah. and so, so I mean, how many times in your life have you had that pairing? By the way, 
I've had it a few, and it's classic. I don't eat that much foie gras. It's just so rich. Yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, when it's a oh, treat. Foie gras, mm -hmm. yeah, as well, yeah. And, and, lobster, and lobster as well, yeah. Lobster is classic. All those sweet amare, like uh, I love it with oysters, uh, even shrimp it's going to be good with. But like lobster is, again, it's a luxurious dish with like concentration of flavors, but still on the lighter side. So I think it works with all of those. I think you can go through the entire meal, and I've done meals with just this. Um, you can have it as a aperitif, as we discussed. It's amazing with oysters. In the late 1800s, it was a very classic pairing. Um, one of the things about Sauternes, again, I, I and this time of day, we're drinking it. Sauternes goes with brunch. I mean, aside from eggs, I think eggs are a really hard pairing. But if you think about pancakes, waffles, chicken and waffles, maple bacon, sausage, all those things are completely amazing pairings with, with Sauternes. So our brunch is very busy, and so I didn't want to um, – I, I need to extend that business into the night. And so I did a couple Sauternes brunch, like Sauternes evening brunch, and people brought their Sauternes in. The chef made chicken and waffles for me and lobster ravioli, like you, you, the lobster pairing, and, yeah. and, yeah. and the foie gras. And it was, it was really fun to – first of all, it was always a treat when Dad went away. Mom made pancakes for dinner for us. It was always a treat to have pancakes for dinner. And so we were – you know, to do that was amazing. And um, and these wines go with that. And and I, every wine person has a bottle of Sauternes in their collection. They just don't know when to drink it. And so it was a really fun brunch. Huh? Brunch. That's that's yeah. a great idea because brunch has the worst drinks. I mean, brunch is like hundred percent home yeah. of the mimosa, right? I mean, this exactly. Is and to um to pair even with a strawberry muffin, it's perfect. Oatmeal, great. You know, it's super easy. Um, and and a lot of fun. But yeah, ask for Sauternes when next time you go to brunch. Excellent. So why don't we move on to our uh, last wine? So Cadillac is, uh, we know the word Cadillac, which is actually an Indian tribe, I think, in um, Michigan. But uh, we know the word Cadillac, but this is the French version, Cadillac, spelled the same way. It's a little town within Bordeaux. They do make still red and red and still white wine, but they make a sweet wine is kind of the special thing of the region. It's still Botrytis. It's, I think it's exactly the same rivers. It's a little bit further down, but you still have this, the same river situation creating the fog and same sun because you're, in, you're still in Bordeaux. Um, it's just a lot of smaller houses. Um, and they're, again, probably making less sweet wine. So this is Chateau Biac. It's owned by a really lovely family. I interviewed Yumna on Instagram and she's extraordinary. They're of Lebanese descent and some Lebanese food pairs incredibly with with sweet wines of Bordeaux. Um, so this one, again, it's tropical fruit. It's a little bit lighter. I think it's a nice one for an aperitif or with oysters. I think it has a li little bit more minerality to it than mm -hmm. the last one does. It's, it's, it's definitely this has a little bit more age too. This is, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a little bit broader on your palate. I bananas and oysters comes to mind. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's the there's a lot of, there's a real the banana world. thing going on for sure. Yeah. 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 But in a, in a good way, not a, like bananas can sometimes be sweet, but mm. it's almost like that, that a Let's green call them plantains. There you go. Exactly. But a, a green banana, which is actually when I, I prefer bananas on the green side, it kind of, it kind of um, enervates your, the edges of your tongue. But you see, Jason, all these wines, they make your mouth water. And that's what a drink is supposed to do. It's supposed to wake up your palate and make you ready to eat. So you're salivating. Saliva helps you digest. Your tongue is woken up. So you're going to really appreciate the food that comes next. So I really think they're great for aperitif.
the region name here, you know, of the region, right. Cadillac. I mean, we're going to read it as Cadillac. I mean, who doesn't want to drink a Cadillac? I mean, it's hundred percent. We should, they should put a hood ornament on it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been fantastic. I mean, this is like a great way to spend the morning. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, could maybe if you could boil down the the plea to people to kind of open up their minds and you know. Well, the, embrace their embrace their you know their their inner sweet tooth, which you know they're just denying because everybody talks dry and drinks sweet. We know this right, right. over the years, right? So maybe maybe what's your what, boil down the plea to this person? So first of all, it's drinking history, and you're drinking the wine of kings, which is just think about that. Um, and queens. Yes, exactly. Um, there is a Sarah Vaughn um, cover of Summertime, some live concert, I think it was in Japan. And she's singing and she just holds this note and pauses. And it's like you're on the edge of this cliff. You just want to go with her, but she stopped. And you're like, what's happening? What's happening? And then you go. And there's something about that with sweet, sweet wine. It's such a concentration of flavors that when you sip this, and please stop, and even if you can, close your eyes, it really just, your brain just focuses on your tongue and this concentration of flavors and what's happening and very very often it reminds you of cookies your grandmother made or a favorite candy that you had after school because all those flavors are very very nostalgic and um and often you know hard spices winter spices cardamom cinnamon nutmeg those are all holiday spices too and so very often you think of like cookies you may have had at christmas time or something and so i just think it's a snapshot of of nostalgia and if we don't keep drinking them they're gonna start making all of st still dry wines and they're gonna go away and, and we don't want that there's a heritage thing that we need to keep around for more on Sauterne including cocktail recipes that will surely make the count very unhappy check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com a couple years ago I wrote a book called the cider revival when I was researching and writing it, going deep into the world of cider, I imagined that cider was just about to have its big moment, when beverage enthusiasts would finally, at long last, come to love cider in the same way that I did. That people would learn how dry and complex American cider had become, a far cry from those sweet and cloying ciders people remembered from years past. I dared to dream that dream. Then during the summer before my book was to be published, something happened. Something bad, actually. That was the summer of White Claw, when everyone suddenly discovered hard seltzers and claws became the drink of choice if you weren't drinking beer. At that point, my cider dream sort of evaporated. It remains a dream. But here in Everyday Drinking, cider will always have its regular place in our conversations. Here is the first of my regular tastings with our cider correspondent, Okay, so joining me today on the podcast is the Everyday Drinking uh, Cider Correspondent, the Cider Queen herself, <laughs> Libby Parks. Uh, she manages the social media for Cider Culture, which is the um, official publication of the American Cider Association, and she has a uh, super, super cider influential <laughs> Instagram account called the Cider Queen with a W. Welcome. For having me, super stoked to be here. So I think we're having a little bit of the the 
the giggles today because we're recording this after sort of an epic cider crawl last night uh, <laughs> through uh, the Fishtown and Port Richmond section of Philadelphia. Um, any any highlights of that? I would call it research is what it was. Um, we had to hit all the best bottle shops in preparation for today. Um, so uh, today on the show we've been talking about you know things that should be maybe more popular than they are things that are less popular than they should be and so cider really kind of fits the bill for that doesn't it it absolutely does um i think no definitely i think you know the world of cider is not taken off at the pace that you know those of us who are severe intense enthusiasts um and cider makers i think anticipated or hoped it would but a lot more of these small family-owned cideries are popping up all over the country and I think that what we're even going to talk about today the different ciders that we're looking at um, they absolutely challenge that you know misconception of what most people might think cider is just based on the one or two you tried 10 years ago and the scene has changed and what do you think um you know what was that misconception like what what's what is it people are think of when you tell them you you know you have a cider are we naming names or oh, are we no well no no just in general it's the it's the you know that generic sweetness you know people taste it once and never go back to it again right you know i think a lot of people coming from the beer world right it's it's almost looked at like a kitty drink, right? Like yeah. people don't understand that there, there is a wide, wide world of cider. So then how did you kind of, you know, go down the cider path? Uh, you know, um, you know, what, what was, how did, what, how'd you find your way into this? So I definitely came through to the cider world, uh, just through a uh, gluten intolerance. I had to go gluten free about 11 years ago and you know that definitely cut down the options obviously and you know I was looking for that everyday type of drink and cider was it but at the time it was just all you could find was like we're saying that sweet styles and not knowing much about it it was what could I get at the local beer distributor what could I pick up at you know the food store nearby and the options just weren't there. I think a lot of people probably come into cider in this way. I mean, it's interesting. All right, so what are we drinking right now? What's this cider? We are drinking Oliver's Lubrication. Oh, that's a weird name. It is it is what it is. That's just the name of the cider. It's not funny. It's just the name. Okay, just the name. Uh, not conveying anything else besides... It absolutely is not. Okay. Get your head in the game here. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> so lubrication is a natural dry cider uh, spontaneously fermented. And this is made in England, but canned um, by Ancho Cider. Ancho Cider in Washington, yep. D.C. Exactly. In so, And this is from, so this is Oliver's. Tom Oliver is a, you know, one of the real important cider makers in the world, really. And he's based in... Uh, the West Country of England, of in Herefordshire, all part of the Shures, Herefordshire, Worcestershire, the Shures. Gloucestershire, all the Shures, all the Shures. But this is 
This is the, the Herefordshire, where the Hereford cows come from, I guess. Also the cider. So what are we what are we tasting here? So, I mean, just looking at it, I think you, you can, you know, the clarity and everything, you know that it's spontaneously fermented. I mean, there's a huge color difference. Um, you know, it's hazy, little little amber in color, but... Very dark in color, mm-hmm. for sure, compared to most ciders. Um, and very, very tannic. I mean, they say it's their tannic cider. Yeah. It definitely... They're not lying. No, they're not lying. Yeah. They're not lying. Um, and you had said it, it does finish like a red wine. It does. I think it has the structure in the mouth like the red wine, mm-hmm. uh, like a red wine too. Oh, so absolutely, yeah. to me, I mean, we're talking about, you know, wine-like ciders. This is one, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for sure. This is definitely a wine-like cider. Oh, absolutely. I've had a, a bunch of Tom Oliver ciders and um, this is like less – they're very bready. There's, some of them are like downright stinky, actually. Like they're very funky. And this has got the funk, but it's in control. It's like yes. it's in balance. Like yes. it's yes. Yeah, it definitely is funky, but it's it's easy drinking though. I mean, like that, it still is Right. You know, it's juicy. I think one thing that this this doesn't have the that really scorching acidity that no. a lot of ciders do. Yeah. No. No, it's not overly acidic, and I think that's one of the things when you get into this realm, it's the, the, the difference between funk and just straight up, you know, acidity. Right. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's, it's, you could describe it as like more red wine acidity. Mm-hmm. This isn't like Riesling acidity. Mm-mm. This isn't, yeah, yeah. That is delicious. <laughs> delicious AF. <laughs> delicious AF. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the other thing with, uh, you know, spontaneous fermented ciders and, you know, wines even, you find them in bottles typically. And what we're drinking right now is out of a can. And um, particularly for Tom Oliver's, like this is an interesting collaboration being it's in a can. Right. And I mean, Ancho, they're, they're really committed to cans. Absolutely. Like, they're all about cans. So this is, it is an interesting collaboration between them and Ancho and Oliver. Yeah. So right on the can – beneath uh you know the name lubrication lubrication it, yes it, yep is uh it says natural dry cider so just you know listing that i mean are they trying to appeal to that natural wine crowd i mean and it's interesting okay so 6.3 percent also right like not very high in alcohol a lot of flavor for a low alcohol cider exactly yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> So, so it's lubrication, but dry cider. But dry cider. Okay, just being clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like this isn't going to necessarily appeal to like the sour beer crowd, which is what the cider is always trying to appeal to, right? This is a wine. I mean, this is a like this is a this is not. I don't know that it has its likeness in beer, right? Yes. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, definitely, and I think that that's a really important call out because sometimes I think that's a misconception of, you know, that I sometimes am guilty of making where, oh, well, this is funky. My friends that like sour beers are going to like it. But the mouthfeel, like like how my palate feels right now after taking a sip of that, that's that's wine. Yes. Like that is. And I like, I think, I know I've said this before, but I think that makes a lot of cider people uncomfortable because I think a lot of cider people came to cider from craft beer. And so this kind of like, wine talk puts them off 
Yeah. But like, get over it. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> stop being so intimidated. <laughs> Own it. <laughs> so what do we have next? So this is native. This is from Graft. Um, and this is um, a spontaneous cider made in Hudson Valley. I'm going to crack this open right now. Nice. So nice. So you may know Graft. I mean, they're pretty – I feel like they have tried to be more accessible. I mean, I know for myself I've been able to get my hands on mm-hmm. a couple great ciders um, at local distributors. I mean, even one of my local food stores. And you cannot miss Graft because their labels are just sick. Like, they're awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Super artful. What's interesting is, like, native – so this cider, it's not surprising – right for them it's just very unique i mean graph lives in that funky kind of you know realm but we're talking this is you know asian oak barrels and that's what's kind of like okay like this is different like yeah what do you what what, how would you describe this i mean this is very up i mean up front is very tart i feel like very acidic but on the on the nose, you do. You get that hint of, like, vanilla, and then you're like, okay, like, you take a sip. It's going to yeah. be oaky. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, another, you know, another angle on cider, right? I, I don't think people think of, like, oak-aged cider very much or oak-fermented cider. You know, people – like, the oak element on cider, not a lot of people have tasted before in their cider-drinking lives, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, and I agree with that. And I think this is so unique because you do not often see – uh, that in a lot of these spontaneous fermented ciders, like not in the natural world. I mean, you may pick up something that is just super oaky, um, right, and right. that's it. But, but I love this because it, like there's a little more than just oak going on on the nose. Like I think I get like it's like very floral, like it's herbal. You know, you yes, there's certainly that vanilla kind of toasted coconut kind of you know oaky characteristic but i think it's it's nice it's balanced and in the mouth i think it's very balanced i mm-hmm. think you know it's i think i like this one i mean this is and i you know you're right i mean graft is everywhere right you don't really think of them as having this kind of like natty unique cider but this is that really absolutely i mean this is super cool and you know i think it's again we go back to that can versus bottle discussion right it's like it's been a while or this is maybe the first time i've seen graft in a bottle and that was you know yeah oh my gosh i have to pick this up right exactly yeah so um we're talking about this kind of like wine beer divide who who is this cider for is this for more of a a wine lover or a craft beer person i mean Look, like if we're looking at the fence, I I think this native from Graft, I think this would fall on the side of the fence where it's like my friends that love sours, tart. I mean, they would like this. I know they would like this. You, we look back. You know, if we're looking at a different cider, you know, that might finish more like a wine or something like that. It's like this is this is beer though. Like if I was going to recommend something, this is a beer friend. Okay, so this is more like a barrel aged sour for someone like yes. Yeah. Yes. And they're used to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And I agree. And this is, uh, this has a little more finesse than a lot of the barrel aged sours. I mean, you're talking to the gluten free girl, so you know that I'm campsiter, so I have nothing to say. <laughs> so, what do we have next? 
So one of my favorite um, cideries that I actually found in the last year is Botanist and Barrel. And they are located in North Carolina and they do funky. I mean, like all of the sours and what we're going to start talking about is that pet nat style cider. Um, so is this what, a pet nat? Oh, this is. Okay. This is. This oh, cool. Okay, cool. Oh, this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's called Less is More. Um, and this is their spon- first spontaneous fermented cider. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Botanist and Barrel, uh, that is a, it's a brother and sister owned cidery in North Carolina. They're located, um, and I honestly, like I'm not that familiar with North Carolina, but I did look it up and it's about 30 minutes northwest of Durham for people that have a map in front of them. But so (laughs) they, their whole focus is natural cider. And by that, I mean, we're talking about naturally fermented. So when you think of, you know, a, you know, more modern, you know, mass produced cider, you're talking that is produced with they're adding sugar and yeast to spur the fermentation. So when we're talking about spontaneous or, you know, this pet nat style, nothing is added. I mean, it is put in the bottle and then game time, let's go. That's, you know. So whatever yeast came in from the harvest from the apples is like, is what they're using to ferment. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay. And it was, so it's very much like natural wine. It is very much like natural wine. And I think, to an extent, it's like you have to appreciate sometimes that it's going to be a little different, right? Like when you are working off of a literal, you know, we'll call it layman's terms, recipe, it's going to be pretty much the same every time. Right. When it when you get into natural fermentation, it's not going to be exactly the same every time, but that's what's exciting about it. Yeah, that's a good point. The recipe cider. Yeah, there's a lot of recipe ciders, aren't there? Yes. Where you just kind of get, they get the juice and they add yeast number whatever exactly to get this note or whatever and then that's what they have yeah yeah and in this this exact bottle that we're drinking whatever that yeast wanted to do it did what what did it do let's talk about that (laughs) what did it do so the yeast gave its life for this you know that (laughs) gosh respect but this definitely sits on that wine side where, you know, it's not overly acidic. Like you're not getting that punch in the face sour like you might get from other more naturally, yeah. you know. But it's there, those. but it feels very balanced, very Absolutely. citrusy. It's very open, open knit as they would say in wine lingo, but yes. Open. Well, do they? I don't know. I work I in know. cider lingo. You tell me. It's <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. No, but it's very very bright, open. I like this. It's great. This is fantastic. Yeah. You know what? I love this one because I think this is a perfect conversation starter. If I have friends over for dinner, this is one that I'm going to pull out on the table because – For people, for cider people or not cider people? I think any. Yeah. I think okay. any. I mean, yeah. this is a good one that drinks if you, people. Yeah. yeah. Like drinks people because I feel like, you know what? If you like beer, like, well, some beer people are afraid, I think, to just try cider, but whatever. But I think that this is a good one to put on the table because <laughs> it doesn't have that, like I said, like it's very balanced, right? Like it's not super in your face, but 
this is if you if you want to kind of start the conversation. This is one of the ciders that's approaching like a wine level of alcohol. Like this is eight and a half percent ABV, right? So uh, you know, and I think this is what's kind of this is a theme, and I think you know, cider the cider. I don't know the cider world isn't dealing with this so well. There's like a very huge variation in like alcohol levels, and with this one, this is more. You know, this is hitting more wine-like notes, and I think a lot of it has to do with the alcohol level, for sure. Absolutely. If you look at, I mean, and this goes for a lot of canned ciders. I mean, if you look at, like, the average ABV, if you go to, you know, let's say your local food store, right, you're looking at probably about 5.5%, maybe. Yeah, up to 6. six. It seems up, like 6.9 seems to be, like, the, the cutoff, Oh, right? well, that's yeah. the, that is certainly the yeah. cutoff, but the average, I mean. Oh, yeah, the average is lower. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. And then you look at something like this and it's like, no, there's something cool happening here. Right. Not that, not that, like, I'm not saying that everything that's super boozy is, you know, the only thing that's cool. I mean, we love boozy stuff. I mean. Are you sure? Don't put me on the spot here. (laughs) I mean, you like it boozy. I know. (laughs) I mean, we we love boozy. We love boozy. Okay. I'm just going to put my bias out on the table right here. I have no interest in an 8% beer. Like, because I don't know why. I just, I don't, it's just not, it's, it's out of balance to me. I know somebody's I know some beer person's going to email me tomorrow and say this but like I don't whereas you know I think cuz I'm going to be served this beer in like a pint glass or something and I don't want a pint of 8% beer right but this is different right this is maybe this is the one we should try in the wine glass I think this is I okay. think that we should Should we all right here let's let's move the wine yeah I I think we're going to switch up the glassware Yeah okay let's see Great pour. Great pour, Jason. <laughs> Excellent pour. Do we want this in the wine glass? I don't know. Honestly. We'll see. I mean, this is like the discussion here of like wine like, beer like. This one, this less is more. I don't know. I guess I guess more is more with the glassware, but more is more with the glassware. Well, you know what? I think I would be happy to drink this out of any glass. This is definitely a yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Or just being, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the wine person, you know, being the wine person, not me. Um, you know, I'm you. Yeah, absolutely, it's you. (laughs) Now, I this is an excellent illustration. Like this exemplifies, I think, pet nat for cider. Um, It's so well balanced. I mean, this is it's fantastic. Absolutely. For more cider recommendations, check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com. Everyday Drinking is presented by the Eat, Drink, Dine podcast network, produced by Jason Wilson and co-produced and edited by Miles O'Brien. Additional contributions from Amber Janelle Brown and Libby Parks. Special thanks to Jeff Harding and David Avedisian. Music in this episode from the EP Mementos by Ages. Check out our newsletter at everydaydrinking.com. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers.